Well, good morning. I'm Camper Monday, Associate Pastor, and I would like to also welcome those of you who are visiting. Uh, we're glad that you joined us. Uh, we've got the, the Welch clan over here. I kept meeting people related to Jackie Welch, and I think at least a quarter of uh, the folks here this morning are related to her, so I know she's excited. I uh, actually met two couples that just got engaged uh, in the past couple of days. They're both sitting over here, so uh, congratulations uh, to you. So I know that we have guests, we have visitors. Uh, maybe you're here for the, the holiday weekend, but whatever brings you here, uh, we're glad that you joined us this morning. And always good to be remembered that as much as we think it is ourselves that got up and brought ourselves here, it is actually God who initiated with us and who woke us up and who has invited us uh, to come uh, into his presence as his people. And this morning, uh, we continue in the book of Psalms, uh, our sermon series this, uh, this summer. And as I noted a couple of weeks ago, and it is interesting to note that the New Testament quotes Psalms more than any other book of the Bible. So it is, it is a profoundly important book uh, for us to be in, uh, for us to meditate on, for us to, to study uh, and to learn to live in. Last summer, as the small group leaders and I were getting ready for the, the new ministry year, uh, more on the academic year, so uh, meeting in August, getting ready uh, for the post-Labor Day ministry year, uh, I remember we, we looked at Psalm 19 together. Uh, and one of the reasons for that, it, it is, is so much about God's Word. And we, we were looking at the fundamental question, or questions, why is God's Word foundational to our faith? Uh, why is, is God's Word foundational to all of life and, and to our life together? Well, in part, we find the answer in the very first psalm, uh, Psalm 1, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Blessed is the one whose delight is in the word of the Lord, and on his word he meditates day and night. And so then what is he like? Well, he is like a tree planted by streams of living water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. Through God's word, we are blessed. Uh, we know blessing. As Dalton pointed out, uh, the clouds roll away. The light shines into our hearts. We, we discover delight. We bear fruit. Uh, we bear fruit in our, in our lives, through our lives, in our relationships with one another. Uh, through God's word, we become more grounded in the gospel, uh, more rooted in the truth of God's goodness and grace to us in Jesus and thus we find true life. And so this morning we're going to take a look at Psalm 19 because it is all about God's Word. Uh, if you're using the Pew Bible, it's found on page 456. Again, that's Psalm 19. But let's take a moment to pray uh, before we hear God's Word. Our gracious God, we thank you for your word, and that your word speaks life into our hearts. And we pray this morning that we would not only hear, but that we would encounter you, the living God. We, we ask that you would do what only you can do, and that is to awaken us, to open your word to us and us to your word, that we would not merely be filled with head knowledge, but Lord, that you would work 
a deep transformation in our hearts uh, that would overflow into our lives and our relationships, our relationship with you and with one another. And so we, we commit this to you. Help us to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I invite you to hear the word of God from Psalm 19. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their measuring line goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has set a tent for the sun which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And this is the word of God. Well, as we explore Psalm 19 together, I want us to consider three words, three words, uh, God's speechless word, God's perfect word and God's living word. God's speechless word. The perfect word and the living word. And so we begin with God's speechless word. Uh, the first word mentioned here, uh, verses 1 through 6. Uh, hear those first couple of verses again. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. John Calvin once said, all creation is a theater of God's glory. Isn't that a beautiful statement? All creation, we walk out into a theater of God's glory every single day. Yes, the heavens declare the glory of God. Take a look for a moment, verse 3. Verse 3 can be translated this way. There is no speech, nor are there words, no sound is heard from them. And yet, David the psalmist says, verse 4, their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words 
to the end of the world. You see, creation is God's speechless word. In Psalm 19, David shows that we should embrace God's glory displayed in creation. Not embracing creation as God, uh, but embracing God's glory on display in it. In creation, we get a glimpse of who God is. Have you ever been outside and just simply been in awe of God's handiwork? Maybe it's been the the majestic mountains. Maybe it's been a, a sunrise or a sunset. A rushing river or cascading waterfall. Maybe some open plains or a heavily wooded forest. But something inside has said, yes, there is a God. Yes, He is good. Uh, I was thinking about my my first job out of college, which is probably a little unusual for someone who grew up in Georgia and went to school in North Carolina, but I was a snow ski instructor in Colorado. (laughs) And I remember a lot of my friends, you know, we'd all just graduated and a lot of them had more executive type jobs and they were proud of the office buildings and the urban centers where they were located and so I would sometimes send them uh, postcards of the, the ski resort where I was uh, teaching skiing, and I would just simply write, just a view from my office, <laughs> or a view of my office. Um, obviously, I, I changed careers, but it was, uh, it, it was a great time. And, and I remember, in particular, driving into work uh, those mornings. It, it was always early morning before the, the sun came up, and so I'd get up, it'd be really dark, and usually by the time I got to my car, the sun, the, the light was just beginning to pour in. And again, I grew up in, in, in Georgia and had gone to school in North Carolina, so I had just not seen regularly these 12,000-foot mountains covered in snow. And there would be many mornings I, I would wake up groggy and grumpy and just not really ready to be anywhere. But on my drive in, I would just see that as the sun would begin to peak at the top of the mountains and just flood the valley. And the majesty, the beauty, and my heart was lifted. And that was God's word to me, lifting me. God makes himself known through his creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. He makes himself known through creation just like an artist makes him or herself known through their artwork. Uh, Many of you have been to our our City Arts Cafe events. Uh, We have those about once a quarter here, and you have the opportunity to come uh, view some of the art from local artists. Uh, Maybe it's uh, pen and ink or pencil drawings, uh, various types of paintings, photography. Sometimes we get to hear the artwork. We get to hear the music just like we did a, a month ago out on the front lawn. Of course, just as you can't personally know the artist, you can know about them, but just as you can't personally know them through their artwork, the Bible makes clear that we can't personally know God through His artwork either. Creation is good. It's wonderful. I mean, Scripture says so, but it's not enough. We need more. And God gives us more. That leads to our next point. So from from God's speechless word to God's perfect word. 
Our second word, God's perfect word, verses 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. And then it goes on. More to be desired are they than gold. More to be desired than the greatest of wealth, even much fine gold, sweeter, sweeter than honey, drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Reviving the soul, making wise the simple, rejoicing the heart, enlightening the eyes, enduring forever. Wow. Beautiful, poetic statements about God's law, His testimony, His his commandment, His precepts. In other words, about God's Word. God's perfect Word. And note the transition uh, from God, G-O-D, God in the first section, a more general, more generic term, to here, transition in the second section to Lord. English word Lord, small caps, if you notice that. And many of you are aware that whenever in our English translations we see the word Lord in small caps, it refers to the personal divine name of God, Yahweh. Yahweh, the one who causes to exist. A personal name revealed. When we meet one another, we exchange our personal names. And God tells us, moves, transitions to His personal name. In the pages of Scripture, the personal God speaks His very personal Word to us. His perfect Word. And so then what happens? What happens when we hear, when we listen? Well, a lot happens, as you can see in these verses. Uh, But first and foremost, verse 7, God's perfect Word revives the soul. What a beautiful statement. Revives the soul. It's a a very similar phrase that's used in a a familiar psalm, Psalm 23. He restores my soul. The good shepherd leads me in places where I can eat of the green grass and by quiet waters where I can drink. He restores my soul. He revives my soul. Encouraging, comforting, comforting. But implicit is this. Implicit is the soul's need to be restored. The soul's need to be revived. And this is King David writing this. Making this profound statement. The one who is known as the man after God's own heart. Declaring that God's word revives the soul. Revives his soul. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that Heather and I are being discipled by another believer in another city, someone that we've we've asked to to speak God's Word more deeply into our lives. And as I shared, much of what we're led to do each week is to meditate on the Gospel through God's Word, to allow our head theology to become more heart theology, 
so that, so that what we say we believe, what we give intellectual assent to, what we say we agree with and give a head nod to, that it would really be the song sung in our hearts. That it would really sink down and inform our hearts, transform our hearts in the way, the way that we live, the way that we relate to each other, the way that we relate to those around us. Now, one of the places, and this week in particular, as I was working through this psalm, and uh, one of the places I've realized that I've had to, to begin to repent uh, and to seek to be revived through God's Word is in the area of dependence. Dependence on Jesus. I'm realizing more and more how confused I've gotten the Christian life often viewing growing up in Christ uh, a bit like the way that I want to see my kids grow up in relation to me as their father. I, I want to help my kids grow up into independence, uh, not having to rely on me for their well-being. That's what a, a good parent does. I'm, I'm there to give them roots, but also to give them wings. And my hope is that one day they'll live Independently, they'll live on their own and probably live in another house as well. <laughs> but it strikes me that the, the Christian life is different than that. Because the gospel tells me that growing up in Christ is not about becoming more and more independent of my Heavenly Father. And, and so often I have lived that, that way. It's as if there was once a time I really needed Jesus. He rescued me, and now he is setting me free, true statement, setting me free to not need him as much. Now I call on him when I need him. And as I grow and mature in my Christian life, I'm not going to need him as much, right? No. That's not at all what the gospel says. It's not about becoming more and more independent of my Heavenly Father but about becoming more and more dependent on Him. Trusting in Him. Recognizing more and more my need. And recognizing more and more His provision for me. In everything, in every way. Growing more and more in Christ's sufficiency, not self-sufficiency. And so my soul... My soul needs to continually be restored and refreshed in the gospel. It needs to be revived so that I might believe and live in the truth of God's word. And the good news is God's perfect word revives the soul. Consider the word uh, revive. Uh, two basic meanings. Uh, to awaken and or refresh like a, a glass of cold water. For someone who's fainted on a hot summer day. To bring back to life. Someone's heart stops. Heart attack. Jumpstart the heart with a defibrillator. The paddles. God's perfect word wakes us up and calls us to life. Whether for the first time. Being called from spiritual death and sin. To spiritual life in Christ. Or day-to-day -day being spiritually renewed in the midst of life's ups and downs. Now, are we always aware of being revived by God's Word? 
No. No, we're not always aware of that. And neither are we always aware of being nourished by the food that we eat. But we still eat. Still, we are always dependent on food and drink. Each meal nourishes us whether we are aware of it or not. And God's Word continually nourishes us, continually revives us, whether we're aware of it or not. And so we should continually feast on God's Word, the bread of life. And that leads to our final point. From God's speechless Word and God's perfect Word to God's living Word, our third Word, God's living Word. This is verses 12 to 14. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then, then shall I be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What do you notice about the transition uh, into this third section? Do you hear how personal it is? How deeply personal uh, David has become here? It's confessional, expectant, dependent. Prayerful. David transitions to this third section by moving from, from proclamation of God's glory and the perfection of His Word to prayer, to honest prayer. In prayer, David expresses a realization, the realization that he falls short of God's glory, that he falls short of the perfection of God's law. And so he asks that soul-searching question, who? Who can discern his errors? The answer is no one. No one can fully discern his errors. Yes, there's some. But there's so many times we make wrong turns and don't even realize it. I remember when I was 15, I had my my learner's permit. And uh, we were driving in the car and my dad was complimenting on my good driving and I was becoming very self-righteous and thus unaware of what I was doing. And fortunately, it was late at night, and he said, well, that was a nice uh, turn you just made. Unfortunately, we're going the wrong way on a one-lane, one-way street. I didn't discern it. I needed someone to to point it out. I needed someone to to help me and to save my life. (laughs) But think about it. David, David says here, there are hidden faults. That we, that we cannot see, we're blind to. They're presumptuous sins. I mean, that was a combination of the story I just shared. Hidden faults, presumptuous sins we so easily slide into. Later, Psalm 139, very familiar Psalm, David cries out, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. A confession. I have anxious, anxious thoughts. Would you test them? Would you know them? Would you reveal what they are pointing to because I cannot see? We think we're rational people. And we can be logical. But when we feel threatened, 
Oh, we're visceral. Fear. We respond. Why? David's saying, why? What is going on? See if there be any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Similar here, Psalm 19, the very end, David cries out, May the words of my mouth, the meditation, what goes on in my heart, be acceptable to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David realizes that though he was created to be in relationship with God, that even though he is the great king, that has nothing to do with him being in relationship with God. He realizes that because of his sin, he is unable to obey God, unable to keep his commands. David understands this well. He's broken all ten very clearly, and he knows it. All ten commandments. And thus he realizes in and of himself, he is unable to be in relationship with God, unable to maintain that relationship with God. And so what does he do? He calls out here to the Lord, his rock and his Redeemer. And who is that Redeemer? By God's grace, we know him. We know his name. And his name is Jesus. Jesus, a name which literally means in Greek, the Lord saves. Lord, small caps. The personal God saves. And his name revealed to us. Jesus. You see, God's perfect word given to us in the Bible always points us to God's living word. Always points us to Jesus. God's perfect word always points us to the living word. Many, if if not most of you, know that my favorite children's Bible is the Jesus Storybook Bible. Uh, And one of the reasons that I appreciate it so much, I mean, I get uh, as much out of it is my kids for, for sure. Um, well, that's not merely because they're infants and they don't get that, or my daughter's three and a half. Actually, she gets a lot. And so much of why she gets, she's getting the Bible is because what Sally Lloyd-Jones does so well here is she is expositing Scripture as she is retelling stories, both Old and New Testament alike. And she is so faithful to the whole counsel of God's Word And it's all summarized, what she does, it's all summarized in the subtitle. Every story whispers his name. Every story whispers his name. It's not that Jesus just comes on the scene in the New Testament. Every story. My daughter Hope, three and a half years old, she is getting that. We read an Old Testament story. And she says, is this about Jesus? Think of that great hymn. We'll uh, we'll sing it uh, at the close of our service today. Isaac Watts. Laden with guilt and full of fears, I fly to thee, my Lord. And not a glimpse of hope appears, but in thy written word, the volumes of my Father's grace, does all my griefs assuage. Here I behold my Savior's face in every single page. God's perfect word always points to God's living word always points to Jesus. But sometimes we miss Him, don't we? Sometimes we don't see Him. Even though we read the Bible, even though some study it so diligently, if we're not careful, we miss the point. We we miss Jesus. 
In John 5, Jesus Himself cautions. You diligently study the Scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. But these are the Scriptures that testify about Me. Yet you refuse to come to Me to have life. Jesus saying, these are the Scriptures. And what's he re- in that case, He's referring to the Old Testament. Everything that you have in your hands, it is pointing to Me, Jesus your rock, and your redeemer. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I hope that this is beginning to make a bit more sense. Uh, That you're beginning to see that the Bible, first and foremost, points to Jesus. That it is not primarily a book of rules to follow. That it is not primarily a book of heroes to emulate but that it is, it, it is fundamentally an adventure story, a love story about a God who comes after us in love, in the person of Jesus, to rescue us. To rescue us from sin and death. A rescue that was accomplished on the cross for you and for me. But I want to take a moment uh, to speak to the longtime churchgoers here. Um, maybe you're like me, you grew up in the church, and my concern is for those of us who have been a part of the church for many years. Because I think there are times we get, we confuse things. We, we get confused being good and getting it right with being a Christian, being in relationship with Jesus. Now, yes, there are rules to follow. And yes, there are people in the Bible that we learn from. But do we miss Jesus? You know, myself included here, we can simply play religious games. We put on smiling faces, pretend that everything is okay. Not living transparent lives. In other words, not living honest lives before one another. Lives grounded in the gospel trying to to present this sense of we've gotten it all figured out. Maybe one day you'll be as fortunate as me to, to figure this thing out. So often we we pretend rather than living in the reality that the church is a hospital. That the church is a hospital. That Jesus came to seek and save that which was lost. He came to speak life into those who are needy. And so the church, God calling people into His church, is a hospital where 100% of those in it are in need. Are in need 24-7 in need of Jesus. We are never without need of Him. He is our life support. And He is our life support in love. Our souls need to be revived by Him. through The living Word, through His Word, the written Word, every single day. Our lives, our souls need to be revived by Jesus, the great physician who brings real hope and real healing to broken people. And who causes us to thrive 
like trees planted by streams of living water. The scriptures always point to a person. They always point to Jesus. And they always invite us to come to him. And so David ends Psalm 19 like this. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Do you realize that David ends this psalm aware of the living word? He prays, may the, may the words that come out of my mouth, may they proceed from a heart that has been transformed by you, Lord. Because I can't do it in and of myself. David had been a part of the church for a long, long time. And he knew his desperate need day in and day out. It's one reason we have the book of Psalms. Thanks be to God for that. Well, like David, we need renewed hearts. If, if what is to proceed from our lips and our lives is going to honor God and glorify Him. If we are to live as we were created to live, finding life in Him, day in and day out, thriving through dependence on Him, Him who created us, redeemed us. Like David, we must go to the Lord. We must call out to Him and hear Him who speaks life into our hearts, even when we don't feel it, even when we're not aware of it, but to know that it is true. Like David, we must call out to the Lord, marveling at Him through His speechless Word, listening to Him through His perfect Word, being searched, known, and transformed by Him, the living word, our rock, and our redeemer. Let's pray.